Welcome. This is GDPR Now, and this week we are talking about cookies. Why cookies? Because in July, two regulators came out with papers on that subject, the UK ICO and the French CNIL. Now, you may think that there's not much in cookies, but actually both those papers have got quite a lot of interesting material, in fact, far more than meets the eye. And we're going to spend the next 30 to 40 minutes 30 minutes in theory, 40 minutes or more if we overrun talking about cookies. Just to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by This Is DPO. And your host this week is Mark Sherwood Edwards. So that's me. Normally I'm joined by other people. Just this week I'm not. So it's just me on my own. So hold on to your hats. Now, before we actually launch into the podcast proper, just some terminology. Uh, for those who are not familiar with data protection in the UK, the ePrivacy Directive was implemented by the Privacy and Electronic Communications Directive, known in the UK by the uplifting acronym of PECA. So every time I say PECA in this podcast, that's what I'm referring to. The ePrivacy Directive also talks about users and subscribers. I'm just going to talk about users. There's not much difference between the two. And when I say cookies, I mean any kind of tracing technology, whether it's a cookie or a pixel or a tag or any other form, including fingerprinting, where the recognition happens at the other on the server side and they're just recognizing your device. Okay, so if you're sitting comfortably, let's begin. So the ICO's report is called Guidance on the Use of Cookies and Similar Technologies. It came out the first week of July. It's about 50 pages long. And what the uh, ICO does, it sets out the three types of cookies set out in the directive. Um, and they, the three types are the communication cookie. I'm not going to talk about that much. It's pretty rare and rarely used. And then the two main ones, uh, the essential cookie, which doesn't require consent, and the non-essential cookie, which does require consent. And consent nowadays is to the GDPR standard. Now, you're probably all familiar with the three types of cookies, but what you don't know is that the Keneal with the Gallic Flare has invented, yes, a fourth type of cookie. Okay, so we'll come back to that uh, later on. So the two main types of cookies are the essential, no consent required, and the non-essential, which requires consent. So then the next question to ask is, okay, uh, what is the test for an essential cookie? And the test comes from the e-privacy directive, and it's this, a cookie is essential and therefore doesn't require consent if it is strictly necessary for the provision of an online service explicitly requested by the user. So I just repeat that, strictly necessary for an online service explicitly requested by the user. Now, of course, the directive doesn't use that word online service, uh, it uses the EU approved term of an information society service, but that's what it means. And interestingly, the word explicitly got lost between the, the privacy directive and the and PECA, and PECA just says requested, but other than that, it's the same thing. Now, the implications of that are that some cookies can never be essential and will always require consent. And those ones are things like marketing cookies, and online cookies, because no user in their right mind is ever going to ask to have those uh, put on their device. But then 
the ICO helpfully has set out a list of which are cookies which require consent and which are the cookies which don't require consent. And I'll so take us through that list briefly. Um, it's worth bearing in mind that the ICO's list is a very high-level list and you need to look at the actual details of it uh, to make sure you're getting it right. But here, here's the main lines. Non-essential cookies, apart from marketing, apart from advertising, which we know always require consent, four types are set out by the ICO. Social media tracking, social media plugins, cross-device tracking, and analytics. Those are the four types. Analytics, you may be thinking, well, that's a bit of a surprise. What's the issue with analytics? We know they're non-intrusive, uh, low impact on privacy, society, socially useful, help people design better websites. But that's what the ICO says, at least for now. But hold your horses on that one because we're going to revisit that. And then on the essential cookies, which don't require consent, it sets out six examples. User input. Things like shopping basket. I, when you go to Amazon and you move around, it remembers what you put in the shopping basket. User preference. Things like your preferred language, your preferred fonts, and so on. Authentication, security, streaming content. Uh, if it's on a website which actually does provide streaming as its main function and network management, those don't require consent. Now, that's the high level. In practice, it's a bit more complicated than that because they're factors which can push you over to one side or over to the other. And the main factors are purpose limitation. So if you're, putting a, if you're going to place a cookie, which have got two purposes, both of them must pass the essential test for that service you're about to access. If one of them doesn't, then you need consent. Uh, then the other factor is how long the cookie persists. The longer it persists, according both to Keneal and the ICO, the more likely it is to require consent. But I'm not sure that's correct according to e-privacy directives, so I'll come back to that later. And then there's all kinds of other circumstances which may impact whether a cookie should be treated as essential or non-essential. But that's the broad list. And I'll give you some examples of how one cookie type, which you may have thought would be essential, turns out to be non-essential and vice versa. And these are the ones actually the ICO give. These are the examples the ICO gives. Social media plugin, for example, normally non-essential requires consent, except if you're on a website, according to the ICO, where you as a user are expecting to have an easy interaction, easy access to Facebook or whichever, or Instagram, in which case that would be an essential cookie for that purpose and not require consent. Equally, user input, typically an essential cookie, um, and therefore doesn't require consent, According to the ICO, you don't require consent if the cookie lasts the session. You may require consent if it requires if it lasts for ninety days or more, and certainly if it's persistent, you will will require consent unless you give lots of information beforehand and, and other things like that. Is roughly what it says. So the ICO is making the distinction between necessary and and. Uh, essential and non-essential, linked at least in part to how long the cookie persists. Now, you look at these examples and you look at these factors and you can legitimately ask yourself, is this the real test? Is strictly necessary for the provision of online ser service explicit, explicitly requested by the user? Is that the real test? 
Because if you think about the classic example, the user input by the shopping basket, I go to Amazon, I put a couple of things in my basket, I then move around Amazon, I go to another website, come back five minutes later. According to the ICO, that meets the essential criteria because it's strictly necessary, necessary for the provision of an online service explicitly requested by me. Except I haven't explicitly requested that service at all. In fact, I haven't requested it full stop. It happens to be provided by Amazon and others. I'm very grateful that they do it because it makes my life a lot easier. But to say that it's explicitly requested or just requested is actually misrepresenting what, what's actually going on. So if that isn't the real test for an essential cookie, then what is the real test? Now, that is a very good question. And I think that the real test is something more like this. Does the cookie provide a function that the user reasonably expects as part of the service that he or she is using? Okay, I'll just repeat that. Does the cookie provide a function that the user reasonably expects as part of the service he or she is using? And brackets and doesn't create too much of an intrusion into their privacy, low privacy impact, okay? Hold that thought. Because let's look at user input for now. So user input is things like, I would like all the screens to be blue from now on, okay? Or I prefer this kind of font, not that kind of font. Now, if that is presented to, by the website owner to the user as, I'm gonna make your screens blue from now on that requires consent from the user and therefore you trigger the whole gpr consent methodology however if that was phrased by the website as own owner as mr user mrs user would you like to request me to turn the screens blue from now on that would be an explicit request therefore it's essential but not therefore it doesn't require consent so the whole user input mechanism doesn't particularly stand up very well when you look at this strictly necessary uh, in response to request kind of kind of test now then we come on to analytics analytics we know is one which is generally thought to be non-intrusive low harm minimal impact on privacy now if you look at what the ICO formally says, it says, well, that's a non-essential cookie. And you can see that point. You, you as a user will not go to the website owner and say, please use my data and provide analytics because you as a user never get to see the analytics. So in a sense, the ICO is hamstrung. It has to say it's a non-essential cookie and requires consent. But is that what the ICO really thinks? And the answer is, no, it's not. And what makes me say that? And I say that because there's a paragraph right at the end of the ICO's paper. And that paragraph is so important. I'm going to read that in full. And I'm going to stick it separately in the show notes. Now, all the papers, the Keneal paper, the ICO paper, and the other papers referred to will be in the show notes as well this, this paragraph. So just listen to this paragraph. I'll break it out a bit as I read because it's actually very important. So this is the final section of the ICO paper, and it's a section talk, 
talking about what will the ICO do if you don't comply with the rules about cookies. And what it says is, the ICO cannot exclude the possibility of formal action in any area. However, it is unlikely that priority for any formal action will be given to uses of cookies where there is a low level of intrusiveness and low risk of harm to individuals. That's the first bit. Unlikely formal action for uses of cookies where there's a low level of intrusiveness and a low risk of harm to individuals. Then it carries on. The ICO will consider whether you can demonstrate that you have done everything you can to clearly inform users by the cookies in question and provide them with clear details of how to make choices. Okay, so the second bit says, if you, if you provide high transparency, a good disclosure, ICO will take that into account in this analysis. And then it gives an example. For example, the ICO is unlikely to prioritize first-party cookies used for analytic purposes where these have a low priority risk, or those that merely support the accessibility of sites and services for regulatory action. Now, they, the way that's phrased, they've got the kind of the verb the wrong way around. So let me put it in, in kind of normal speak. For example, the ICO will not prioritize regulatory action, first-party cookies used for analytics purposes where these have a low prior privacy risk, or those that merely support, or cookies that merely support the accessibility of sites and services. So what they're actually saying is, if you're, if you're using analytics and it's first-party analytics, and then by definition, more or less, depending where you do the data, um, there's a low privacy risk, i.e. if you anonymize it, then they're not going to come after you. Okay, and that makes perfect sense. So if we just recap brief, briefly on the uh, ICO view of cookies, or at least my view of the ICO views, view on cookies, we have the strictly necessary test, which doesn't work. We've got the user input test, which doesn't really work either. And in relation to cookies, and actually uh, I've used cookies example because it's much broader, because what the, the ICO is saying is, we'll not take any formal action for use of cookies where there's a low level intrusiveness a low risk of harm to individuals. Now, analytics is just an example of that. Um, if you look at all those things, the ISO is saying the existing test doesn't work very well and therefore that this is what we're going to do. If you stay the right side of the line and if you're sensible, then uh, first-party cookies uh, can be there without consent and we're not going to do much about it. That's how I read it. Now, what the... ICO is asking you to do as a website owner, if that's what you are, is to balance out the low harm to the user, the low level of intrusiveness against your own personal interest as a website owner, and provided that actually there is a low harm and there's low intrusiveness, i.e. there's little impact on the rights and freedoms of individuals, then actually you can go ahead and place first-party cookies without requiring consent. Now, that's a balancing test. And does that balancing test remind you of anything? Well, it certainly reminds me of something. It reminds me of the legitimate interest test, which, again, is a balancing test. And the irony, irony of that is 
that the ICO, both in this paper and in its previous paper on ad tech, and if you missed that, that's covered in the previous episodes of GDPR Now, the ICO goes out of its way to tell people that actually there is no such thing as legitimate interests in cookies. And formally, clearly, they're right. Legitimate interest is part of one of the lawful bases under the GDPR and it's not under the e-privacy directive. But actually, in practice, in the way that the ICO is expecting us all to apply this, apply the cookie rules, there is such a thing as legitimate interest. Now, that sounds like a bit of a mess to me. It's a workable mess, but it's a bit of a mess. Now, let's turn to the French and see what they can do to bring us out of that mess with something a bit cleaner. So the CNIL has said publish a paper also in the July, hot on the heels of the ICO. And that paper is only about five pages long. It's not a guidance paper in the same way as the ICO's is. It's a formal paper. And in that paper, the ICO resets its previous formal high-level uh, guidance on cookies with a new set of guidelines, uh, which will they're going to review in December. Apparently, they're going to bring out some sectoral guidelines. No idea would be in those at that point as well. But the point is that they're now high-level guidelines, though, as we shall see, they are quite specific in some areas. So what does the ICO, what does the CNIL say about analytics? Well, what it says is this, and this is the fourth type of cookie. You can have an opt-out cookie in relation to analytics. In other words, your slider on your cookie notice can be set to on to start with, and the user, if they don't like that, has to set it to off. Now you can do that, and to hell with GDPR consent, provided you meet various criteria. First of all, it's going to be a first-party cookie. Secondly, the analytics has to be for that website only. You can't share the analytics with third parties. Processes accepted. Uh, you can't mix that data uh, with other data. It's got to be anonymous, no cross-device tracking. And then the ICO gets very specific. Geotagging is fine, provided it's city level. Um, and the cookies themselves can last for a maximum of 13 months. You can't auto-renew them, maximum of 13 months. And the information you've collected has to be deleted after 25 months. So you kind of wonder, or at least I kind of wonder, if the data is going to be anonymous, as it has to be, then why can't you share that data with other, other people? That kind of makes no sense to me. But that's what it says in the, in the Neil paper. So we have two very different approaches, but actually heading in exactly the same direction, both effectively saying the existing e-privacy directive doesn't work. Therefore, we are going to cut you uh, website owners more slack than you get formally under the directive. The ICO's view is a much broader view because it's talking about any kind of cookies. And then all you need to do is, is ensure that low-level intrusiveness low level harm where an analytics is just an example, whereas a CNIL's approach is purely about, uh, about analytics. So that's where we are on the overview of, well, an analytics biased overview. I'm now going to talk about a few other issues 
and that came out mainly out of the ICO paper because it's more detailed than the ICO paper being much longer, but also with some references to the Keneal paper. I'm not going to talk much about consent in relation to cookies because consent is GDPR consent, and that's a fairly well-explored subject. But I will mention two things. The Keneal guidance says that in the cookie notice, you have to mention the ability of the user to withdraw consent. Now, when you think about it as GDPR consent, that's self-evident, but it's probably not seen in most cookie notices at the moment. So that would be a good idea to remind people they can revisit the cookie notice and turn the consent off uh, if they decide they don't, they've changed their minds about it. And the other uh, thing worth bearing in mind is what the ICO refers to as nudges. And what it means by nudges is sometimes you see cookie notices where accept is in very large numbers, uh, very large letters, very large button, and reject is very small. Or sometimes you see accept and you can't find the reject button, however hard you look. That doesn't count. Uh, that is a non-lawful uh, cookie notice. The nature of being GDPR consent, um, informed, freely given, all that kind of thing means that the accept and the reject buttons must be equally available to both. Right, here's another subject that comes up, cookie walls. Both the ICO and the Keneal say cookie walls are allowed, and they're both, and cookie walls, those don't know, are websites where you're not allowed in unless you accept the cookie. And they both give uh, the GDPR consent as the basis for that, it's not freely given. But actually, that causes a bit of a clash with the e-privacy directive because the e-privacy directive says access to specific website content may be made conditional on the well-informed acceptance of a cookie or similar device if it is used for legitimate purposes. So it can be made conditional on acceptance of a cookie if it is used for legitimate purpose. Now, the Keneal doesn't mention uh, recital 25 e-privacy directive at all. The ICO, to give it credit, does mention it, but then tries to qualify it in two ways. Um, it says that the reference to specific website content means a subset of the main website. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, the problem with the subset, subset can be 90%. Uh, and also I wonder, and I think that specific means probably well identified rather than subset. That's the first point. Um, and then the ICA also says it must be subject to legitimate purpose, as says the uh, e-privacy directive, but legitimate purpose must, must mean, and then they go back to the strictly necessary test. But that can't be right, because strictly necessary test means you don't need consent. So I think, they, I think the ICA has got that wrong. Similar theme also, Recital 25, e-privacy directive, full of interesting stuff. And what the, another bit of the Recital 25 is that information, well, here it is, information and the right to refuse may be offered once for the use of various devices to be installed on the user's terminal equipment during the same connection and also covering any further use that may be made. So you can offer it once and that covers any further use. Okay, so all you need is consent once and you don't have to keep going back and refreshing that consent. 
Now, that's talking, that part of recital 25 is talking about consent cookies, i.e. non-essential cookies which require consent. But now both the ICO and the CNEEL seem to think you have to keep going back and, and refreshing your consent once given. Now, arguably, they can say, well, that's part of GDPR consent. Uh, but arguably, actually, well, maybe this bit of the privacy trumps that. But whatever the position is on the non-essential cookies, it can't be any worse on an essential cookie. If, according to e-privacy directive, you can have, uh, all you need is once-in-a-lifetime consent, then, uh, and, that, and that cookie can be persistent, then that must be doubly true for an essential cookie which doesn't need consent. And at that point, you can't turn around and say, well, GDPR consent requires a time-limited consent because the nature of an essential cookie, by definition, is it doesn't require consent. Anyway, those are the bits that, that strike, or a couple of the bits that strike me, both in the ICO and the CNEEL around Recital 25. Now, we're coming to the end of this podcast, but I'm going to talk about a few more things. Actually, I'm going to talk about third-party cookies briefly, um, and then I'll draw out some general conclusions, uh, and then I'm going to wrap up. Now, both the ICO and the CNEEL talk about third-party cookies. Now, I'm going to keep this quite brief because third-party cookies is a, probably a subject in its own right and may well be a subject in GDPR now at some further point. But it's worth just seeing what both of them, both these regulators say about it. Now, where they both agree is you need clarity. You have to, you have to show if you can put a third-party cookie down, all the normal rules about clarity and disclosure apply. Both agreed on that. Then the ICO says, on the one hand, third-party cookies are the responsibility or the joint responsibility, both of the third-party cookie owner and the website owner. And on the other hand, it says the third-party cookies are the primary responsibility of the website owner. So that's not particularly helpful. The Keneal approach, which is kind of intelligent, but as we'll see wrong, says the way to approach uh, responsibility for third-party cookies is just apply the normal GDPR test. Is it a controller? Are they joint controllers? Is it controller and processor? And you just apply that test to third-party cookies and hey presto, you're all sorted. Well, the problem is, of course, that the GDPR doesn't apply to cookies as cookies. That is governed by the EPUSI directive. And so that approach doesn't work. Now, some of you may be wondering why that's the case, why I'm saying that the GDPR doesn't trump the EPUSI directive. And that's because, as a matter of European law, uh, when you have a general law and you have a specific law, this specific law trumps a general law uh, in relation to its, its specific domain. And the GDPR is general law and the ePrivacy Directive is a specific law. So as far as cookies go, the ePrivacy Directive is the dominant legal structure. And if you want to find out a bit more how that works, there's a good working party, 29, or it might be European Data Protection Board paper on that. Uh, and I'll post that in the show notes as well. Then they both say 
both the Nestle third party cookies, both the Keneal and the ICO say, uh, when it comes to getting consent, contractual warranties don't work. But they don't necessarily, but then neither of them tell you what does work. So that's still hanging out there as an unexplored um, to be fixed problem, if it is fixable going forward. So what have we looked at so far in this podcast? Well, we took a look at cookies, difference between essential and non-essential. Um, and you heard my views as the tests don't work for whatever reason they've been badly built. Uh, the ICO and the Keneal, in my view, seem to agree with me, at least as far as analytics are concerned and proposed other approaches. The problem of the mismatch between the e-privacy directive, and there is a mismatch between e-privacy directive and the GDPR will continue for a while until the e-privacy regulation, if it, it comes out, due in 2020, but who knows. Now, what do I think about all this? Well, on the one hand, I really admire both the ICO and the Keneal for being realistic and pragmatic and catching and cutting people some slack as to how they use analytics and similar cookies, because otherwise the whole none of this e-commerce would effectively not work, or at least not work with the facility that we presently have. On the other hand, I have to say I have a slight nagging worry that the both regulators are going too far in constraining what the law actually says. So cookie walls, well, they seem to be permitted by the e-privacy directive. Adding timelines to cookies when the e-privacy directive says that uh, one-off permission is good enough. It strikes me as it's not the role of the regulators to go beyond the law and create the law they would like to see rather than the law as it presently is. Well, that brings us to the end of that podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Forthcoming podcast subjects, cookie notice software, very timely. It's going to be, well, we have reviewed it. It'll be published short. We have reviewed three different cookie notice packages and we'll be publishing that podcast shortly. Uh, cyber insurance, that's ready to go as well. And we've got one on, on security coming up. If there's any other subjects that you'd like to see covered in GDPR now, drop me a line at info at thisisdpo.co.uk. Email will be in the show notes. Equally, uh, if you'd like to appear or know someone you think would be interested in appearing, please let me know on that email address. And that's it for now, and thank you for listening.